0: Uh, Welcome to to another episode of Coveta Insights, where we talk to um, industry leaders on how you should be managing your money. Um, Today we have two very interesting guests with us, Um, Puja, who is the assistant editor and an AVID podcaster with Forbes India. She runs two successful podcasts at Forbes India, one called Capital Ideas and the other one called From the Bookshelves of Forbes India. Uh, She writes on private equity, high finance, and the Indian economy. Welcome, Puja, to the show. Um, we also have Anoop, who is the Chief Investment Officer and the Joint CEO of IFL AMC. He is an alumnus of IIM Lucknow and has over 25 years of investment experience. Prior to IFL, he had stints as the CIO of Equities at DSP and also the CIO at HSBC. Um, in the past, he has been featured amongst the top equity fund managers in the country. So, uh, welcome Anoop. So, um, starting with Anoop, right? For someone looking to time market moves, right? What would be your advice? I mean, is it possible? Can you do that on a daily basis, on a monthly basis, even on a business cycle basis?
1: So the interesting thing is, uh, you know, the last 24, 25 years that I've been investing, uh, this question has come up permanently, literally, from that I joined this industry. You know, is this the right time to invest? What returns can we get? And uh, what's the downside here? I mean, these three were standard questions you'd get in different ways, but essentially those are the three questions. And interestingly, over the last 24, 25 years, um, you know, there's always been something to worry about. Uh, as they say, markets climb walls of worry. It's just that everything that you worry about changes over time. Uh, we've seen enough over the last 24 years which looked really ominous for markets and you know, kept playing on people's minds from a timing point of view. But eventually markets are where they are and a lot of these events come and go essentially. So what we realized is that it's really very futile was our learning over time to try and assess every event and come out with a very long term market view based on that. Now most of this is hindsight analysis. You know, a lot of us also, you know, because we're in the market, we're expected to explain what happened on hindsight and we all study it and sound like experts at the end of it. But it's all hindsight explaining a situation that has happened, the ability to predict Something uh, is, is very low, actually, because new things keep happening. So essentially, uh, just given all of this context and the point that a lot of time is spent in answer, asking these questions where, frankly, there are no good answers to. We thought uh, we'd actually try and provide some perspective to it through um, you know a slide that we call time, volatility, and returns to answer those three questions of, is this the right time? What returns can I get? And what risk do I carry? So, uh, as I mentioned, so three points were related to timing, uh, returns, and uh, the risk or how much downside which we measure as volatility. So we said three variables, time, return, volatility. Let's throw that onto a chart together and see what it sort of tells us. And what we came up was uh, with this uh, chart, which is uh, a relationship between time, volatility and returns. And I'll just explain this very quickly. So on the x-axis, you'll see that uh, the different time periods, one year, two year, three year, five year, seven year, ten year. And uh, these represent periods of time, rolling periods of time on the sensex. So we, we took data running all the way back essentially from uh, 1990. So it's about 30 years of data. And we've plotted different periods of time and tried to plot returns and volatility on them. So the blue line that you see is the returns line and uh, the yellow line is the volatility line now uh, when you look at the blue line I think uh, what's interesting is it's for the most part between 10 to 15 percent across different time periods and just to explain exactly how we got this number I'll just maybe explain it to you with the one-year number so the one-year number you notice is about 14 percent on Sensex so what we've done is we've gone For every day of the last 30 years, we've calculated a one-year return. Uh, So you've got that many data points of one-year returns for every single day of the last 30 years. And then you take the most commonly experienced number out of that at the median and you plot that as the number. So the most commonly experienced one-year return, two-year return, three-year return, five-year return, seven and ten-year return, that gets plotted out as this blue line. And the most consistent experience is somewhere between 10-15% to as you can see from the graph. The uh, volatility line though is a very, very different picture. Uh, The one-year volatility is as high or north of 35%. So right up front, it tells you two very clear things. Number one, uh, if anyone gives you a 12-month view, please take it with a big pinch of salt. uh, Because with 35% volatility, It's almost impossible to get it right. There are just too many events in the short run that you won't be able to predict. Um, And uh, at least in my 24, 25 years, I haven't come across anybody who's been able to consistently predict the market in sort of 12 month cycles. So uh, that's number one. So, you know, 12 month views, you'll get them uh, a dime a dozen, but uh, please, uh, you know, take them with a pinch of salt. Uh, The second thing it tells us is actually, equities is probably not an asset class worth even investing into from a one-year point of view, uh, because why would you buy something which has a return, median return of about 14% uh, with 35% plus risk attached to it? You know, if you look at it in risk-reward terms, it's two is to one against you. So why would you buy something, uh, normally the principle should be in any investment you make, you want a risk-return in your favor. But interestingly enough, uh, what you will observe through that graph is as you start pushing out the time horizons, the yellow line keeps coming down, the volatility line keeps falling, whereas the return line is still fairly consistent. And from the uh, little under six years onwards, uh, the return line is actually consistently ahead of the volatility line. So the interesting thing is just mathematically, you know, a lot of people also ask us, what is long term investing? How do you define it? Different people have very different definitions. But just from a pure risk reward point of view and mathematically looking at the last 30 years, what it has suggested is that six years and above tilts the risk reward of investing in your favor, at least as far as the Indian market is concerned. if you look at mutual funds, it's actually a slightly better picture than this. We haven't plotted it here, but on average, I, I would assume most mutual funds would have beaten the index over this time period, 30 years. And uh, probably in the vicinity of about uh, maybe 2-3% to above the index returns with similar levels of volatility. So if you sort of extrapolated a mutual fund graph onto this, uh, the cut-off period for this risk-reward to be in your favor would probably be about four and a half years or so. And interestingly, if you look at all the good funds, or most of them, and especially my where I spent uh, the bulk of my time, my previous employer, uh, we never had uh, a single period of time where, on a five-year basis, we delivered a negative return. Even if you invested at the absolute worst point of the market, over a 5 year period at least you came out with a positive return. So, 5 years and above, the risk reward starts working more in your favor uh, from a mutual fund point of view and about 6 years from an index point of view is the basic uh, point to make here. Uh, and this actually, uh, you know, in fact, what we normally tell investors therefore is that you know, the returns are pretty straightforward. Uh, in fact, that's the easier part to gauge for markets because you know, corporates want to create value over time. That's the whole idea of running a business. So value will get created. Uh, the challenge is really navigating the volatility to get to that return. So what happens is, uh, you know, the blue line is what is sold to everyone or everyone comes in with the perception that this is what I'm going to get from it. But you have to live through this yellow line of volatility. And most people actually get knocked off just with the volatility alone. Because volatility can be good or bad, if you're lucky, it adds to your returns. But most people actually experience the negative side of it because they come in normally when markets are already
0: higher. So um, that's definitely one one part of the equation. And when you have, you know, you, you of course have tons and tons of people who read Forbes India and you guys write about this a lot. What kind of questions do you mostly get? Are a people are investors more interested in you know what's the hot stock? What's the hot mutual fund? Where should I invest? You know what's going to work out in the next six months? Or are they asking more questions around uh, asset allocation and goal planning and kind of, you know, um, understanding that um, it's, it may not be impossible uh, to trade, but uh, there are costs involved which you have to pay, uh, starting from bid offer all the way to taxes.
2: True. Now, a lot of people who send, in our, send us questions, first and foremost would be, uh, do we stick into what we have or do we sell it off? I mean, do we sell or do we stick into what we have? And second thing is these days, and also if we look at a lot of data, everybody's been talking about how a lot of retail investors are sitting at home and trading these days. And uh, if you see, I mean, if you look at yesterday, if you look at today, if you look at this week at least, uh, markets have been falling considerably. And now people are hoping, oh, it'll come down, let's wait till 35. And when market is 35,000, maybe then let's put in capital. So a lot of these questions are quick fix questions. Uh, do I invest now? Do I uh, now exit mutual funds? Because mutual funds haven't really performed well over the years. And now let's can we just get into the whole index fund culture? Or uh, should we also look at, you know, again, making a quick buck? I mean, I think the concept over the last few months have been, can we make a quick buck? Uh, because it is rallying. I mm-hmm. will be able to get in and get out. Uh, what if somebody else can't? But I can definitely get in and get out. That's one of the kind of feeling that we've been seeing um, that people have, it's like selling. you know, it's like
0: saying uh, if Tesla has gone up eight x in one year.
2: Yeah, why exactly. Why do I need to compound it fourteen percent? do I need
0: to compound fourteen percent? And you know, so, so to your point, right? So we uh, we are actually doing uh, doing some quantitative analysis on our own right now, and um, about this stock versus mutual fund Then uh, we find it very interesting because uh, whether you own a stock portfolio or whether you own a mutual fund outright, you're still owning a stock portfolio. So, we looked at the nifty hundred stocks, right? And we said, What if you ran a stock SIP? Forget a mutual fund, SIP, right? You don't believe in mutual funds, we understand that. So, let's run a stock SIP every month. You buy the same stock 10,000 rupees for three years. Um, the average stock SIP would have returned you like 3.4 cents in the past three years. That's what your XIRR would have been. Uh, your index XIRR is closer to four percent. So I think um, uh, I, I find that argument sometimes very uh, very entertaining when someone says that um, uh, mutual funds, which is just a basket of stocks at the end of the day, it's, you're, you're calling it or ETF, which is again just a basket of stocks at the end of the day, will not make you money, but stocks will make you money. So it's almost like saying, okay, uh, at the ingredient level, it's really good, but the meal will turn out to be bad. Uh, so. How do you guys handle that? I mean, how how do you handle these questions? When you get these questions about people inquiring on, you know, um, 35,000, like how do you say whether that's a good number or not?
2: You really can't say that. The best part you can talk about to them is the fact that, you know, you have to look at long term investments and what is your personal goal? Uh, Some people have these goals like, you know, I need to save capital for my daughter to go to college or for my daughter to get married, etc. People have their separate goals. For example, if I'm looking at, you know, if I want to go to college, if there's somebody 20, I remember this question coming up from someone, Uh, he wanted to go to college after a few years and he had X amount of money, but he was looking to go to US for his studies. So obviously he needed three X more than that but you can't tell anybody you can make 3x and you know you should do these four stocks and you'll be able to do 3x and that's how you can pay for your college Uh, that's absolutely not really happening in a lot of places but what we can suggest to them is that you know uh, if this is your goal these are some of these stocks that have performed over the years this is a six-year ten-year view and then if you would like to take that view that's your obviously personal call but it is quite impossible to imagine that you know Nobody can really time the markets. You have to just keep going with the flow.
1: So the the biggest challenge actually of investing is more psychological and behavioral. You know, I think uh, there are enough smart people who can figure out businesses, who can look at valuations and all those sort of stuff. I think it's really it comes down to temperament eventually to a large extent. And you know, serious long term investing, as they often say, is like watching grass grow. Or, The pain, dry, type of thing. So you know, the the lesser the activity, the better actually it is for you. But that doesn't appeal to everyone because you have daily prices, you have movements, you have news channels blaring things out all the time. So all of that sort of incites action. So the only thing that you could do, frankly, if you if you have to, uh, you know, somewhat uh, want to be involved somewhere in that is to very clearly compartmentalize the two. It's a bit like our portfolios. When we even construct portfolios, we actually have different compartments in our portfolios. So the way we treat, let's say, cyclical businesses is very different from the way we treat defensive businesses. We like to buy and hold defensive businesses, but we may want to trade a little bit more actively in a cyclical economy-sensitive business, for instance. So you follow a pretty much similar approach with your portfolio, which is, you know, you define what is your long-term or, you know, the part that you will just park and, uh, you know, you can define a small corpus for you to act, but just make sure they don't mix at any point in time so that temperamentally you're not, you know, juxtaposing one view against another. Um, so that's uh, typically, you know, maybe one potential way of doing this. Uh, but more, most importantly, I think when you're investing, the first thing to assess really is your risk tolerance. Uh, you know, the returns, as I said, still come by. That's not an issue. The question really is how much risk can you handle, how much of a drawdown can you handle, and that really determines uh,
0: if, how do we decide which risk bucket to kind of start you on?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, listen, everyone who comes into the market, by the way, starts off as a long term investor in their minds, and then they right. realize, you know, uh, once you go through a bout of volatility, really what your tolerance is from a long term point of view. But uh, but having said that, I think, you know, the, the question really is how much can you afford to lose? That's pretty much it. Uh, how much impacts your life dramatically based on taking a loss? I think when you enter equities, just because it's the volatility that you have to live through, I think the first question is how much of a loss tolerance can you take without it dramatically altering your lifestyle? And um, if, if that capital, you know, if tomorrow it got eroded, um, you know, then, if it's going to put you back too much, maybe that's not the amount of capital that you should have exposure to, for instance. And uh, you know, to our mind, the biggest drawdowns that we've seen—I uh, mean, just to try and put some numbers—and I'm just thinking of the top of my head here—if you look at the last forty years of investing in India, uh, the biggest drawdowns have been. A uh, drawdown is what we define as a thirty-five percent or more correction in the index. there have been seven instances in the last 40 years, including the one that happened in March. So it's not something that happens very often, but when it does happen, you can lose a fair amount of capital at an index level. At stock levels, it can be even worse, but at a broad level, we're talking about a 35% drawdown. And uh, we've seen that, you know, that's the sort of tolerance that you have to effectively come in with. So I can, can I afford to lose 35% of my portfolio, assuming... I've just come in at the worst possible time. And uh, can I sit through that and still manage to keep it going for myself till the time it comes back? If I can't tolerate that, then probably, you know, it's not the place to be. Or at least you have to adjust your uh, your exposure. accordingly.
0: Fair enough. Uh, Pooja, like I mean, you have been tracking investments for a very long time, right? Is there something that you've seen that works? Uh, and, you know, anything that you think that Okay, maybe um, at a macro scale, you can make uh, an argument that, you know, markets are 95% efficient, blah, 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 blah. But there are certain opportunities available if you're smart or if you you know uh, if you want to be more active. Um, and do you personally think that is it easier to select stocks versus selecting mutual funds? Um, or it's equally hard, it doesn't matter.
2: First, I'll come back to the one point that you said before. You talked about right. how mutual fund is a basket of stocks versus right. what you're picking is a single stock that you're picking. I think the problem is that you know over the last few years, for example, I started uh, doing mutual fund SIPs when I started my career in 2008. So when the market tanked, right. it was my first SIP. So maybe I was quite lucky to get into a time when everything was down and I, that's when I started. So I believe that right. you can always make money. But right. the problem is over the last in the last twelve years, what I've seen is that a lot of our mutual funds, if you go back and you know just run an Excel on all the mutual funds that you have in your portfolio and you will see that your returns some the older ones would give you around twelve, thirteen percent post tax also, and then there are some over the last five years which have given you a return like one point two percent, three point two percent, and yeah. that that's when you think, how do I deal with this return versus what? I used to get. So then you think, okay, maybe the fund manager doesn't know what he's doing. Let me take things in my hand and let me decide my own future. So I think that has also happened a lot because people believe that, why am I paying a fund manager? You're taking money from me to manage my capital. I am not a rich investor. I am just a small time investor trying to do my sip with you. And yet you can't make money. Aren't you supposed to make money for me? So my point was, let's just take things in my hand and let's just decide what to do with it. And so firstly, uh, one is, as I told you, (laughs) sipping in your entire stock, for example, you can't have like 20, like I don't promote, I mean, I'm not going to say you have 20, but if there's one company that you like, or you identify a few, one or two, which is what I've done, I found two or three companies, which I believe in and I believe that they are going to do well over the next five years, six years, seven years, Uh, some of them are banks, some of them are companies that I think are okay. So then you whenever they go a little down, you feel comfortable around it, just go buy it. Just go buying it. And maybe in five, six years it will perform. And if it does not perform, I am to blame myself rather than blaming someone whom I don't know at all. Because okay, well, effectively what's
0: happening is what we're seeing is that a lot of these Robinhood traders are not people like you who are who have done this for a very long time, who at least understand finance, who are working in the financial industry. Uh, majority of them are, are are thinking of this as, um, hey, you know what, this stock never goes down kind of a deal. So <laughs> let me keep buying it all the way up. And and, and everyone always has this confidence that, you know what, yeah, 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 it'll fall someday, but I'll be the first one to sell. So, you know,
1: when when we used to show this to people, another question was, you know, it doesn't sound terribly exciting, right? 10 to 15% returns and I've got to Um So was there any way to improve this blue line or to push the yellow line down, the volatility line down and the blue line, the return line up. So what we observed was that, uh, you know, markets, there's zones of risk-reward. You can never find a top or a bottom, obviously. But you can find zones where the odds are beginning to get in your favor or against you. And uh, what we observed is uh, we use price to book. We don't use P-multiple because earnings can be extremely volatile in the short run. And like in a year like this, there's nothing to really go by. Uh, But price-to-book is a very consistent indicator. And what we've observed is that whenever the market gets to two times price-to-book or below, and this happens rarely, so this is the last 20 years, this has happened one, two, three times. This is the third time it's happened. Whenever the price-to-book comes below two times, you know, effectively, it's only 5% of the time of the last 20 years has the market been below two times price-to-book. And the five returns from there have been 40%, which is way in excess of what you would benchmark for equities. Now, it may take time. So for instance, this looks very simple on a chart, but you had to survive this for a year and a half of markets going nowhere. Uh, but the zone was right for you, and then you'd make supernormal returns eventually. Uh, for the most part, markets are between two and four times price to book. Uh, so 52% of the time it's between two and three, and 31% between three and four. And right now we're at about 2.7. So we're somewhat in the range where your returns are more in line with the average, that blue line that you. And conversely, as you keep going higher, above four times price to book, we actually raise a red flag at three and a half times upwards Because we've observed that you know, around three and a half also, the risk reward starts changing. But four times and above, the market is, again, doesn't spend too much time there. And your future returns are way below even fixed income returns. So that's the range we normally say, you know, if you're, if the markets are four times price to book and above, that's a damn good time to start uh, thinking about asset allocation. You'd be, it's almost certain you'd be very bullish at four times price to book and everything you'd be hearing would be good. That's just the nature of things. And you'd be tempted to invest and you would have seen a lot of money being made by others already. And therefore, you know, let me put some money in this, some quick money to be made. But that's where you lose. Those are those big wrong decisions. And close to two times price to book or below is where the fear is maximum, the uncertainty is maximum, uh, everything looks bad to you, but that's the time you will end up making money. So just following the simple price to book on the market itself, to our mind, is a very good uh, indicator for you to be able to just assess whether you're setting yourself up for a big loss or for a big gain. And for the most part, there's nothing much you can do between two and you know three times or three and a half times price to book. You just say, listen, I can't catch every 10, 15% fall. So forget it, I'm just staying the course. And that's really to our mind the best way of investing, at least looking at uh, the past. I can talk about listed equity funds. They have track records. Uh, you've got a lot of good listed equity funds with 20, 25 year track records of 18%, 20% CAGR which is better than you'd get from most companies. So I, I sometimes wonder why mutual funds really have got as bad a name as they seem to keep having from time to time. Uh, <laughs> given the fact that over really long periods, they've actually done exceptionally well. The challenge really is that people come and go, and invariably will come and go at the wrong time and therefore they experience experienced with mutual funds. When you look at the weighted average returns on the flow into mutual funds, it's a very different number. Than what any mutual fund will show you on paper as its point to point returns over a 20 year period that's the challenge. Um, I'll give you one example since we're talking about it, and I'm going to quote from my previous employer again because I spent most of my working life there. Uh, so we used to manage a fund called the DSP Equity Fund, um, and this was launched in 1997. In 2017, when we completed 20 years, uh, the fund had delivered close to a 20 percent CHR over 20 years, right? So it was an outstanding return, you we were up uh, you know, some 60 times or something from whatever you invested in. And, uh, the, uh, when I, when we completed 20 years, we thought, let's just go back and maybe write thank you notes to everybody who's been with us on this entire journey. And when we went back to see how many investors stayed with us from 97 to 2007, uh, to 2017, uh, I think there were less than 20 people. Of wow. the portfolios we were managing. And uh, some of those people were people who had forgotten they even held the units. That's the only reason why they last twenty. Years. <laughs> so that just shows you how, uh, you know, markets in a way are designed to knock you off from long term investing. Because it's going to keep throwing news at you, analysis at you, fear at you constantly. And, uh, you know, you're going to try and every time you try and respond to a stimuli like that, the chances are you're just going to stray off path. Uh, and you know we, we always say this: the risk is actually entirely in the control of the investor from that chart that I showed you, if you just give it time, the risk dissipates automatically, and you participate in what you came in for because businesses do grow over time. but you know if you're going to try and time a business every year you're not going to be capturing the business cycle you're just capturing the volatility that's what you're playing then you might as well whether you 're in a casino or the stock market really doesn't make a difference
0: having predicted predictability in losing money is as hard as having predictability in making money so if someone can say that you know what, i am the a claim saying that i am the worst investor in the world that everything i buy i lose money in um, effectively you are saying is that i i need to buy everything else except what you have bought and i'll actually be in that so um, uh, people people always you know i mean these examples they are fun examples that you know uh, and, and Pretty sad for the person who invested in multiple PE funds and lost in all of them. But um, having predictability as a bad investor is actually equally valuable to a uh, asset management company as having predictability as a good investor. And both are equally hard, right? So, so both are, um, uh, if you know of friends who have consistently lost money in stocks, I would love to talk to them and find out how. Because that might have some value as well. Uh, it's uh, it's not it's not easy to do either ways. Uh, so uh, having having said that, I think this was a fantastic decision, a discussion. I think uh, um, there there are there are certain, of course, behavioral biases that kind of push us to invest more. I think Pooja made a very interesting point that people are a bit disappointed. They expected a certain amount of performance um, from their mutual funds, from the index funds, or from the ETFs, or whatnot. Uh, Even PMS for that matter, because I hear roughly the same argument for PMSs also. And and then people are then saying, I'll take matters in my own hand. Um, See, I I hope that it turns out well for everyone. We know from experience that um, stock picking is, uh, it's it's not easy. It's it's definitely not easy. India is a very competitive stock pickers market. So uh, we'll we'll, uh, probably get get some more data in a couple of years on how that pans out but uh thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the show anu thanks for coming on the show we have his, uh, thank the you fun. so
2: much kaurav it was fun thank you anu
1: thanks thanks kaurav thanks Putin.